Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Today on Trending, we are diving into topics related to men. You have a question, question that you'd like to have answered from a Catholic perspective, give me a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Joining me in just a moment will be Father Scott Herrera, the pastor of St. Mary's Catholic Church in Escondido in San Diego, California. We're going to be talking about how men should or how men are impacted by the overturning of Roe versus Wade, how sin clouds the mind. Also talk about how those who are working age in Gen Z, granting Gen Z at the oldest is 25 years today, 25 years old, and many of them are choosing not to work as a part of the great resignation. They're asking what's the point in working anymore, especially in a system that's set up against them. I'll be talking about the interesting perspective of Gen Z quitting the workforce before they've even started and more during our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Again, if you have a question for me or my guest, numbers one, 888-914-9149. Joining me now is Father Scott Herrera, the pastor of St. Mary's Catholic Church in San Diego, California, in Escondido. We're going to talk about Roe versus Wade being overturned. I know many people maybe are a little burnt out of hearing constant debate and discussion surrounding the abortion issue, but I want to dive into the perspective of now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, the tide has changed in the culture, especially among men, and how they respond to a decrease in access to so-called emergency birth control and what is abortion, the fail-safe of birth control, ending the lives of children. And it's leading to choices sexually that are changing. And so joining me now to discuss this is Father Scott Herrera. Father Scott, welcome back to Trending. Thank you very much. Do you mind if we say a prayer first? Please do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle then the fire of your love. Lord, send out your creating spirit and renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in the same spirit to do what is right and to rejoice always in his consolations through the same Christ our Lord, amen. Heavenly Father, I ask that you help me to say what you want me to say and that all the listeners hear what you want them to hear. Amen. Amen. So, Father Scott Herrera here on Trending. Father Scott, let's talk about how men are being impacted and should be responding to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. That is abortion that has ruled as the law of the land in the United States that has now changed and the decision is returned back to the states. 
Well, I'd like to begin with a story that actually happened to me. I was challenged the day after uh, this overturning of Roe versus Wade by a woman who agrees that abortion is wrong, but did want to help me to understand a woman's perspective better and how men and women alike need to uh, reevaluate what it is that they do and how they live out their faith. And the reason for this is because, yes, we're all in agreement that um, life begins at conception and should be protected uh, at all costs, uh, at all effort or sacrifice. But at the same time, we have uh, lost our way as a culture, as a people, uh, even as a religion, where so many people say one thing but do another. And she was making reference to how, well, this was a solution, uh, an inadequate one, uh, because of promiscuity. And let's be honest, it's not just men anymore. Roe versus Wade and contraception has made it uh, possible for women to be more independent and uh, to not have to r rely uh, on men, which is a good thing, but uh, not what we were looking for. And the results are, well, uh, there is a lot of fallout from the sexual revolution and Roe versus Wade was uh, a solution that was inadequate. So for men, what can we do to help women? Well, first of all, we should obviously, if you're listening to this radio, hopefully you're Christian, uh, Catholic perhaps, that you are God-fearing, God-believer, and that you realize that God instituted uh, our lives and our biologies uh, for our benefit, to help us, but that there is a plan and there is a way of living that we need to strive for. Roe versus Wade and contraception in general has um, deteriorated uh, relationships and family life. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it has made men... Uh, even grow less responsible and less mature than they were before. Right. At least you know, it's before. Interesting. Yeah, Father <laughs> yes. Scott, it's interesting as you're talking about that because if you follow kind of the trend in the culture legally, you know, we had the Griswold versus Connecticut decriminalizing contraception immediately on its heels was the legalization of no-fault divorce in the state of California. And so we saw, you know, this direct connection that you're talking about through the culture and law, we went from uh, allowing for contraception to, okay, well, you know, the heart of the family, children, is taken away. We can now allow for no-fault divorce, no culpability to uphold the family. And then abortion came not long on the heels of this. Like you're saying, this culture has allowed for promiscuity among men and women. Yes. And so this woman's frustration uh, after the overturning of Roe versus Wade is because... Uh, <laughs> men and women, I don't want to single anybody out, but the program is uh, making reference to your gentlemen listening in particular. 
So we, we need to understand that men need to fulfill their role. Ultimately, what this woman was trying to convey to me, and she did so in a very good way, was to help me to be more compassionate and understanding, not being a woman. She said, Father, you will never understand what it is to be a woman, to have a baby, uh, and to be in a male-dominated world. Wow. I, I stepped back and I said, you're absolutely right. I didn't change my opinion and say, oh, okay, maybe Roe versus Wade should continue. But uh, I did have to take a look at a different perspective and say, okay, what is it that men were called to do? Because if the mission of the woman is to be able to have children, then what is the mission of the man? Well, the mm. mission of the man is to be understanding, supportive, a protector, uh, to help provide. Because, uh, I mean, right now, I'm very slow in my speaking because I don't want to offend anyone. And uh, I'm all for women uh, being able to be part of the workforce and to have their independence. But at the same time, we have to take our biology into account. And as a man, I cannot have children. Uh, women do. And my role is to make sure that life is protected. Why did God institute um, the marriage relationship so that the husband and the wife can be a team towards their journey towards God. And God wanted children, life, to be produced in a loving environment. I mean, if there was ever a crisis pregnancy, I'm sure you've said it before, Timurie, on your programs, it was Mother Mary. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. God, uh, in his wisdom, wanted to make sure that Jesus, the son, had a father. Uh, and so with Joseph, he has an adoptive father to uh, create the full family unit, which we call the holy family. So in this perspective, there are a lot of consequences that uh, Roe versus Way overturning challenges both men and women. But since we're talking about men, uh, men need to realize that this was influenced through prayer and that God has allowed it to be so, this overturning, at, at, with a surprise of the world, uh, so that we can step up as men to fulfill our roles and to put everything into a proper perspective. So that means uh, men, unfortunately, not only uh, have become more promiscuous because of what we had already just discussed, uh, porn is on a rise, is a multi-billion dollar business. And uh, we keep saying on TV that we don't want to sexualize women, but that's exactly what we continue to do. And abuses are made ultimately because there is a lack of God. Without God, there is no objective truth. Uh, there is uh, just the subjective opinion of everyone. 
and then we we can't guide ourselves properly and understand our biology and what the meaning of our existence is. Mm-hmm. Father Scott, can you talk about the importance of chastity in this whole conversation as we're talking about the role of men in the context of the overturning of Roe versus Wade and taking more seriously the responsibility of women being entrusted uh, to the care of men, women you know in dating relationships with men, men who are married, and how chastity plays a role in marriage as well. Um, yes, definitely. Uh, there's a difference. Sometimes people confuse the terms chastity and celibacy. Right. Celibacy is what is asked of consecrated men and women when they make their consecration to God, either as a priest or as a nun. But everyone, not just priests and nuns, are invited to chastity, including in the married life. The respect mm. of uh, the partner to uh, put into the proper perspective the love-making act. The intimacy between a man and a woman is a beautiful part, not the focus, not the end all of a relationship. As I had briefly touched upon earlier, the purpose and the end of every person's life is God, is to be with him forever in eternity, which we call heaven, the life of the bliss. With that said, then the relationship is to journey towards because that is the goal. And so man helps woman, woman helps man. There are companions, says the book of Genesis. And so uh, when God provided us with this possibility I'll be a little blunt. I hope I'm not offending anyone. But I had one youth tell me, well, Father, if uh, God didn't want us to have sex, why did he make it so enjoyable? And I go, well, it's not that he didn't want us to. Uh, It's a beautiful aspect between the relationship of a man and a woman because God wanted us to dominate the earth and to reproduce Even when a person gets married, uh, part of the mass or the liturgy says that uh, this act or the relationship between man and woman was never eliminated. It's always existed from the very beginning because God wanted us to be able to multiply, but at the same time to have companionship. Adam needed a true companion and none of the animals provided that for him. So they help each other on this journey. They produce children. And at the same time, these children, because of their baptism, extend or grow the mystical body of Christ. And so you begin to see the beauty of what God established and what my response was to this young man was very much that. Look, this is putting everything into perspective. God wanted us to be desirous of wanting a companion to have a mate, right, which would be the male or the female, because when they come together, then life, then he can be part of that relationship the third party, so to say, and help them in the creation of life, which he so much loves to produce life. God loves life. Uh, He doesn't need us, but he wants to have us. 
because he enjoys sharing his bliss with us. And so we can understand these aspects in, in a better perspective mm -hmm. and, and why uh, we shouldn't take them out of context. That's Father Scott Herrera here on Trending with Timmy. We'll be right back with Father Scott Herrera here on Trending. We're going to talk about how sin clouds our minds. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. If you have a question or a comment, Father Scott, especially in relation to the topic of sin and how it clouds our minds, numbers 1-888-914-9149. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I have good news to share with you in just a moment about the role and influence of parents protecting their kids. Dads, listen up. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. Also, fascinating news, Gen Z, which are those born after 1997 and onward, the oldest would be 25 today, are choosing to be a huge part of the Great Resignation, those who are choosing not to work today before they've even gotten started in the workforce. We'll talk about that and what's the point in working anymore, especially as Gen Z is choosing not to. Joining me now during our weekly Gentleman's Hour on Trending is Father Scott Herrera. He's a pastor at St. Mary's Parish in the Diocese of San Diego in Escondido, California. Father Scott, let's talk about the role of sin in our lives and how when we sin, it makes it so difficult for us to have right perspective, how it truly does cloud our minds when it comes to our choices. This is a very good point because we're seeing the results of not living a life of grace. Uh, in, in present society and culture, and even within the church. Unfortunately, many are not teaching um, what the catechesis or tradition has handed down to us over the last 2,000 years about being truly temples of the Holy Spirit. Everybody's heard that from St. Paul and says, wonderful, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. But they don't put on that little added phrase, when you're in the life of grace, if you're in the state of mortal sin, you have killed the life of God within you. And you can reestablish that through the sacrament of reconciliation. But our purpose is to be with God. And there is a map, so to say, for our life here on earth that the church in its wisdom from the Holy Spirit's inspiration has taught us, which it can be reduced to, by some authors, to three levels. We have our purgative uh, level, which is the first level that we try to purge sin from our lives. Uh, and sometimes that's a roller coaster for a lot of people, and they never get out of that first level. The second level is the illuminative. And the illuminative is when you've eliminated to a, a very good degree, maybe not absolutely, but to a very good degree, and you're pretty consistent with your discipline and life of virtue and your prayer and your sacrifice. And so you're living a life of grace. And now you begin to be illumined 
by God. The light of God shines in your heart and in your mind and help guides you to write judgment, to know his will. You're beginning to um, catch yourself before you fall into sin. When you've begun the first stage, uh, many times you're convicting yourself or the Holy Spirit is convicting to you when you've already failed. And you realize, oh, I blew it. I sinned. And then the second level, illuminative. And the third level is uh, unitive. And that is the life of the saints when they have abandoned themselves to God. And this should be a goal of all of us to pass through these different levels. Unfortunately, it's not being taught. And we have a lot of people that don't even start because they don't even know where to begin. And when you have this occur, then sin becomes a part of your life. You might have a lot of education, but your uh, reasoning will not be illumined by God, pre predominantly unless it's actual grace that God is making an exception. But your judgments are clouded and you are not taking into proper perspective the worldview that God has, maybe that man has, but we are not of this world. We are the world of God, and this is what he invites us to. So, I mean, it would be fortuitous that uh, we took this into account so that we went to uh, the sacrament of reconciliation, of confession more regularly, yes and that we made an effort to uh, figure out what it is that God wanted rather than what we think he wanted. I mean, he's given it to us through his revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is the Bible. It's God saying, I am not, you cannot be agnostic. You cannot say that I am not personal or that I cannot be known. I became a person in the person of Jesus Christ so that you can know me and I can know you and I can help you know what your life was meant to be. And so we cannot be truly complete without that knowledge of God in my life. I had, um, did you? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I had, think that this is so helpful as you're sharing kind of these examples of understanding that journey in the spiritual life, because I think many people aren't aware of that, that there are steps, you know, just like, you know, a lot of you're taking the steps closer to Christ by working through the way you interact with sin and eliminate it from your life so that, like you said, you go from purging to elimination to union with God living that life of the saints. But confession, as you said, are required along is required along the way. That's Father Scott Herrera here on Trending with Tim Wright. Father Scott, you were about to share a story with us. Please do share. Yes. Um, I had a particular person that had come to me on one occasion with uh, this experience of uh, wanting to encounter God in a more intimate way. And by sharing with her these steps, it helped her to understand better the richness that the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, has provided for us. But yes. for some reason, we uh, as priests or as catechists have wanted to uh, 
just learn what modern society has uh, produced instead of going back to the richness. And so Jesus Christ may have brought this up. Well, you want to have the old and the new, not just the new, but that requires us to do research and to read and to pray and to know that for 2000 years, the church has had trial and error and has provided for us with a roadmap on how to travel faster and better to the heavenly kingdom and to make this life more enjoyable and rich. And as we talk about battling sin in our lives and that clouded mindset, can you speak a little bit more so to how when we sin, we create habits and habits that uh, are habitual sins that make it difficult for us to have the right perspective when it comes to making future decisions, especially if we haven't been to confession and how important confession is to break that pattern of habitual sin that is clouding our judgment. Not only does it cloud, if you go to the book of Romans, Timory, God makes it very clear that when we are in sin, we begin to think that sin is good and that what is actually good is bad. And so uh, everything flip-flops in our lives when we do not turn to God to have criteria to have understanding. And so, yes, it is very unfortunate that people that are continuously in sin, and, and then I've had people come to me for confession, um, and they'll say, well, I haven't been to confession for three years because of the pandemic or this or that, which is very unfortunate here at this parish. We made a confession available, even though we were doing it outside. Um, to make sure that we are continuing to provide this life of grace uh, and healing and forgiveness and mercy from God. But uh, they'll come to me and they'll say, well, Father, I, I really don't have any sins. Oh, oh let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Three years, no sins. <laughs> Father, you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> yes, I have very little to, to confess. Well, let me go through. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, I did that. I did that too. And I said, oh, look, see, all of these things are sin. But we're not teaching it at the pulpit. And mm -hmm. people are not getting it on TV. And people right. are beginning to think that everything's okay. And that that's what love is, to condone anything and everything because of the person. Well, yes, I do love the person. And God loves people everywhere always. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't end there. God has uh, hopes that we will be better, that we will uh, seek his uh, joy, which is to fulfill his will rather than our own. And to try and accept and embrace what he's established for us. And this is only possible, like I said before, when we seek him and try mm -hmm. and live with discipline and virtue, which nowadays, unfortunately, I mean, all age groups, but this new age group hasn't been challenged uh, very much to 
have um, good habits, like you were saying. So when we have bad habits, uh, we begin to believe that they are okay. And there's an ancient saying that says, if you do not live as you believe, you will begin to believe as you live. So with that said, we have to understand what our faith asks of us, and we have to put the buck where the mouth is. So if I say that I believe in Jesus Christ, well, then what does Jesus Christ want of me? If I've mm -hmm. taken him as my personal Lord and Savior, uh, does that mean I get away with doing anything that I want because I know that he is Savior? No. He's going to actually, from the readings of this last weekend, will understand better that our responsibility is greater. We're the older brothers and sisters of the Christian faith. We have more at our disposal, but that doesn't necessarily make us better. Because if we forget when the master is coming, then he will come as a surprise. But if every day we are praying, we are making the effort, we might fail, but God is merciful and he'll pick us up back up again. Then we realize, oh, um, God is helping me be better. It's not up to me. It's me in relation to God, collaborating with him. Because God wants to give us what we need, but he's not going to force it upon us. And he's not going to change us like a magic wand and make us perfect uh, without our help. That's why St. Augustine had said, the God that created us without our permission will not save us without our collaboration, our effort. That's that's Father Scott Herrera here on Trending with Timory, and talking to the importance of understanding the need for confession, that accountability, because when we don't have confession, our perspective is shifted. As Father Scott just said, everything's flip-flop. We don't see sin for what it is. We actually think that our sin is a good thing, and we need that accountability of the sacrament of confession, of the teachings of the church. And if you feel challenged by something the church teaches, it's a good opportunity to evaluate where we are in our sin. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. If you have a question, let me know. I'd be happy to take it, take it whether on social media. You can ask your question live now on Instagram. You can also ask your question uh, by giving us a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. We'd love to hear from you today during our weekly Gentleman's Hour. number of questions have come in. We're going to talk about the Great Resignation, too, in just a moment, and how Gen Z, who at the oldest is 25 today, those born from 1997 on, are two Choosing not to work, choosing not to work before they've even started working. Part of this great resignation, but not just the resignation. Many people who are part of the resignation are ditching jobs for new jobs. We're talking about a generation choosing not to work at all. But again, it's our weekly gentleman's hour and a number of questions have come in. First, I love this question. How should you act like as a father if meeting your son's girlfriend or daughter's boyfriend for the first time? This is a fantastic question. First impressions really are important. And let's be real, in long relationships can always be complicated. Let's start it off on a good point, especially as someone who's a person of faith and you have 
a higher standard that many people uphold you um, as having for being Catholic. So if you're a father and you're meeting a new boyfriend or girlfriend of one of your children, what's something to think? How should you act? Well, I think especially if a new girlfriend is coming into uh, the house and you're meeting her for the first time, remember we live in a very broken culture with a ton of divorce, a ton of promiscuity, a ton of um, sexual misbehavior that might even be happening within this relationship that your child has with this individual. And so for a young woman to come in and meet you as a father, a Catholic father in the home, it's important that you give a very loving and paternal sense of fatherly love. Again, we have to be careful, especially when first meeting uh, your kids' boyfriends or girlfriends, uh, to make sure that there's still a respectful distance, that there's not pressure placed on the relationship that's blooming, but to make sure that that person feels very welcomed and loved and sees a true example of a father. So many people miss fathers in society today. And so whether it's a girlfriend of one of your children coming into the home or a boyfriend of one of the children coming into your home, make sure that that fatherhood, your masculinity, that you are confident and loving and respectful and you do take time to be interested in them. I find so many young men and women today who had fathers who never showed interest. Take a moment to show interest. Take a moment to show, first of all, out of respect for your child that you do care and you want to know this person they're dating, but out of respect for them as an individual, someone who maybe never has encountered a strong, faith-filled Catholic man who can be up here like a father figure, show them the beauty of what that is in a culture where they might not otherwise have experienced it. And if they have, great. I think all around the perspective is important to that gift of you are a father to your child and now show that fatherly love in a respectful and of course a modest and moderate way to this new individual coming into your home. Great question. Okay, another question that came up, how should you act like as a father if you're meeting your son's girlfriend or boyfriend for the first time? Sorry, that was the same one I just answered. (laughs) Sorry, next question. How can Christian men navigate the hostility toward them amidst the culture where they seem to be targeted from every angle? In other words, how can men better lift up and or how can we as a society better lift up men who are making every effort to change the world through being better husbands and fathers? So how can all of us support men in being strong husbands and fathers in a culture where the hostility is so intense toward men, toward masculinity, and toward totally vetoing, getting rid of any sense of faith in our lives? I think that first and foremost, if you are a a Catholic father trying to live a Catholic lifestyle, trying to lead with your faith, with your children, with your spouse, as a husband and a father, uh, you need to have a level of confidence that in the midst of the culture, there's going to be criticism. There's going to be visceral reactions at times. There's going to be judgment, sometimes even from those closest to you. But you have to have the confidence to move forward and break through uh, that sensitivity of what we think others believe. I know we often tend to think of men as being very confident or encouraging men in confidence, but a lot of studies have shown in psychology that many men do doubt themselves. They think that what they're doing is a big act, a farce, and they're just faking it until they make it. Well, sometimes confidence is that, but sometimes also even more so confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and his mission 
can give us true confidence and better yet trust in what he's calling us to. But that requires humility. Humility to follow Christ's way in a culture that says and does otherwise. Humility to stand true and firm in what you're called to in your mission as a father and a husband. That sacrificial love that your job starts when you get home, not when you get to work every day. That we're putting more work into the work you do at home than you do at your job because we live, we work so that we may live. We don't live so that we can work. We need to focus on our homes, our families, our relationships. I think a big part of navigating the hostility in the culture uh, that we're experiencing, especially toward men today and Christian families, you need to make sure that you're accountable and going to confession because I think sometimes the ways of the world can bring us down. There are so many temptations, uh, perspectives, and we need that sacrament of confession to help put us in check when I say, oh, you know what, maybe in this way I'm starting to let down my guard and be distracted by my from my mission. I also think it's important that we receive ongoing formation as husbands and fathers, uh, that you have that formation, that you're seeking it out, whether through reading, conferences, you know, groups, but also that can happen through good, strong, faith-filled friendship, and that is through brotherhood. Men often learn from other men and need to be edified by other men who are pursuing the same faith-filled uh, perspective as a husband and father. So great question. Another interesting question that came in, should husbands and wives dance with someone of the opposite sex, even if it's just very casual? This is an interesting question. I think I have a little bit different of a perspective on it uh, because so I have a dance background. I've danced since I was a little girl from ballet, jazz, tap, but also the social dances, uh, ballroom, swing, those partner dances that you do together, tango, rumba, all of that. Uh, so much fun. And I've seen this, I think, difference in dancing socially. Let's say if you were going to, to go to like a swing dancing club or a Latin dancing partners club. Yes, dancing can always have a sensual dimension, but there's a difference between a sensual and a sexual dimension of dance. And I think what's challenging when it comes to dancing today is if you're trying to dance with someone of the opposite sex, let's say in various scenarios and you're married, much of our dancing today is disorganized, unorganized, and it leads for to a freedom that maybe isn't necessarily the best level of freedom that should be occurring within a marital relationship with someone who's not your spouse. However, if we know an organized dance and there's organization to it, such as swing or even some of, again, the more sensual Latin dances, that could be acceptable as long as you have a good reign on your level of chastity. And I think to each their own and knowing yourself in terms of what is and is not a temptation. For example, I've grown up dancing my whole life. Social dancing has been something I've done for fun. And social dancing uh, would be a situation where it wouldn't be something that was a temptation. It would be something that would be an art rather than something that has been centralized as much of our non-organized dance culture is when most people dance together. You know, it's not really necessarily to be slow dancing with someone who isn't your spouse. It's not really uh, appropriate to be dancing to a lot of the music we have with someone who isn't your spouse, but organized dance like we used to have, uh, there's something to be said for the formality and the art of it that could be done 
If you know yourself and your level of chastity and confidence and fidelity with someone who's not your spouse. And of course, your spouse needs to be okay with that and there needs to be checks and balances in terms of jealousy as well. Great question. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour. And I want to talk about the great resignation. But before we do that, before we do that, because this is fascinating what Gen Z is doing in reaction to the great resignation, I want to talk about some really great news for parents and schools when it comes to protecting kids. And this speaks to the volume of the importance of parents standing their ground and protecting your children in the midst of various ideologies, agendas, and even policies coming from the highest level uh, in the United States and pushing back. A Christian school recently won against a bullying pro-LGBTQ agenda that has been initiated by President Biden. President Biden has been attacking schools, encouraging them or demanding through an expansion of Title IX to include so-called sexual orientation, gender identity, as a means for what will and will not allow schools to receive funding for free lunch for kids who are lower income and need free lunch at schools. And so what's happened is President Biden has made it so that if your school doesn't allow little boys to be in little girls' bathrooms and vice versa, or little boys to be in little girls' changing rooms, locker rooms, or sports, that he's going to demand and force these schools to no longer receive federal funding for free meals for lower income students who might need to take advantage of that. Well, Grant Park Christian Academy in Tampa, Florida pushed back. They're refusing to go along with the agenda. They're not going to follow the pro-LGBTQ agenda, pushing boys into girls' bathrooms, girls' locker rooms, etc., and sports. And guess what? They won. They will continue to receive federal lunch funding despite rejecting the Biden administration's so-called expansion of Title IX and the funding that goes to schools. So this is a great example of parents and schools choosing to stand their ground on what is right for children and protect children. Because let's be truly honest, boys and girls restrooms and girls and boys restrooms doesn't help anyone who's struggling with their identity. And it certainly doesn't help with the sexual promiscuity and the damage that can be done and the fear and discomfort that can occur for boys and girls who want to be able to have private spaces to get ready with like individuals. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's a reminder, gentlemen, fathers, stand up and fight for your kids because your voices matter. Okay, I read a fascinating article penned by Andrew Leston writing for Acton Institute this week. He's a Gen Z, a junior industrial engineer student at Texas A&M University in College Station. He was born in the early 2000s. Now, to classify Gen Z, Gen Z is anyone born from 1997 onward. They're as old as 25 years old today, so they're in the workforce. Can you believe it? It's not just my my generation, the millennial generation that's in the workforce today. So this young Gen Z is sharing about what he's seen among his peers. And he writes in his article, is there any value to work in today's world? He said, this is a question that many in Generation Z find themselves asking. He says, Gen Z is asking when the system is designed for my ultimate failure, why play the game? That is, this great resignation we're hearing about, those in Gen Z are choosing entirely not to work. It's not just a failure of income. 
It in part, but not exclusively, it's not the burden of student loans and anticipated years of imbalance between income debt and the inability to own a home or develop any wealth. It's this attitude that men and women have, young men and women have today, of why try at all? In fact, penned in this article by Andrew Lesson, he says, there's an overwhelming message from social media in the news that when it comes to work, the current systems set sets you up for failure. He says, for the past two years, a trend has been building to quit jobs. Encouragement in this direction has gone viral on social media with hashtag quit my job gaining 276.5 million views and hashtag quit talk boasting 16.2 million views. Many in the media are calling this the great resignation, but specifically talking about Gen Z, those who are age 25 and under today. Again, quitting the workforce before they've ever really even gotten started. Well, this isn't faring well for, as I think many economists would like to say, the future of the workforce. But I think as a Catholic perspective, we have to say this isn't faring well for the future of young people who are just starting to find their place in the world. It's not faring well for them and their peer influence that's real on social media. This generation, in some ways, people would argue, has had things handed to them. Other people would argue that this generation is in a crisis of purpose and meaning. And I think that it's more so the latter. Not so much that this Gen Z has had things easily, because I think the breakdown of the family, the running between one parent's house and the other parent's house, splitting holidays, uh, the challenge of depression and anxiety that has skyrocketed both during COVID uh, and before that, I think that many young people have not had things handed to them. Sure, have certain things been too easy? Absolutely. Have they maybe not been encouraged to join the workforce the way that my generation up was? I had my first job when I was 13. I think I was making things when I was like eight or nine or 10 or standing outside in front of my parents' house trying to sell my belongings, my junk to make money. You know, the idea of the hustle and bustle of work was something I understood early and a work ethic was something I understood early. But I do notice the younger generations seem to not have that same level of value for work. But I don't think this is really about work. I think what this really is about is purpose and meaning in our lives. In fact, the Gen Z Andrew Leston, writing for Acton Institute, quoted something that Glenn Beck said that I thought was interesting. He said, the great resignation is ultimately a crisis of freedom, identity, and exhaustion. Let's talk about that. I think it's a crisis of freedom because people are trying to figure out what freedom is. Uh, In an American mindset, we think freedom is to just say no and do whatever the heck we want. But freedom actually has a purpose. It's meant to have a positive definition. Freedom is for the sake of something and specifically for the sake of choosing what is good. As for identity... I think this does have to do have to do with identity. A problem of Gen Z asking, who am I? A generation that has been bombarded with technology and hardly looks up from its phones and its screens. And I think the level of exhaustion is true because they're exhausted from trying to figure it all out. And I think that's justifiable in a certain respect. I would argue that this problem of identity comes from a cultural t- attitude that's happening for years now, over 60 years, 
starting in high school and permeating as the years go on. And that is an emphasis that has always placed the question on young people of what are you going to do with your life? In other words, what are you going to do to earn a living? What kind of job are you going to have? We tend to reduce existential questions to what will your job be? We even objectify one another when we first meet each other as one of the most common and sure polite conversation questions is the first thing we ask is, well, what do you do? Now, it's interesting because instead of saying, instead of saying, what will you do to earn a living? What job will you have? What are you going to do with your life? Dietrich von Hildebrand says in his book, The Art of Living, that little is said, if anything at all, about what one will be as a person. This vision, he says, colors strongly the formation of our personality. Isn't that interesting? That when we have the perspective of from the early years of high school forward, what are you going to do to make a living? What kind of job are you going to have? What, and, you know, instead of saying who are you going to be, what kind of person, this emphasis has truly clouded the vision of our personalities. It's damaged our personalities because we objectify ourselves according to a job or we have this crisis for years through high school, choosing a college, going into college, trying to determine what degree it is. All of this seems for many years a disorientation of having no clue. No, Grant, people should be choosing and deciding much sooner and there's much to be said and I want to talk about this in the days and weeks to come about the importance of trade schools, of only going to college if you actually do have a plan and an orientation, not just mindlessly committing to a degree that's far too expensive, to debt and to no plan at all that's leading to severe student loan debt and many people who are floundering. Right now, we've seen in the older generations and the boomer generation, the formation of what I would argue, of many of a strong, hard work ethic, but sometimes also being workhorses, identifying yourselves according to your job and identifying in terms of what your legacy will be that you leave. And this, I think, has shown the younger generations that at a certain point, there's a reason why Gen Z is a part of the great resignation and they're saying, why work at all? Because they're having existential crisis, a moment of immobility, dysfunction, and outright what I would argue an atrophying of an entire generation who are saying, why work at all? Because I don't want my identity to be wrapped up in my job. It's not making people happy. And I think that as we're talking instead, focusing about this next generation of workers not working, instead we should be talking about this next generation of people who are not thriving, who are struggling on an existential level. We need to talk about a generation of people who will know, love, and influence their peers in seeking the heights of society and shaping the next generation. They're quitting. They can't find themselves How are we going to help them instead of just focusing on them getting into the workforce? Yes, they do need to get into the workforce. Yes, working hard with our hands, with our minds, helps to bring value and discipline. But I think it's important to recognize that we need to be good people before we can be good workers. Good people breeds a good work ethic. Good people breeds honesty, integrity, accountability, reliability in the workforce. I have to talk about being created in the image and likeness of God, that young people are giving up and not entering into the workforce because they're rejecting this idea of workaholism. 
All of this begs the question of what is freedom? What is identity? And we need to help the next generation understand that being created in the image and likeness of God, forming them through education that builds up a person, not just focuses them on starting a job. Forming good people will form good workers. But better yet, it'll be form people who love, interact, and grow this generation and the next generation. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Join me for our weekly marriage hour where we talk everything from dating relationships to the end goal of marriage. We're going to talk about challenges families are facing today, especially those who are being hard to hit by inflation. Studies are showing that those who are impacted the most are families and you're even changing your eating habits. What tips do you have? How can we help each other through this challenge? Join me for our weekly marriage hour Thursday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.